he modeled intimacy with his father, not just in some kind of lovely, private, quiet plate, but right there in the midst of relationship. And so that's what we do too. We're in constant communion with Jesus now, shoulder to shoulder with each other. everybody it's kate and jj <laughs> that was late. you must be up there no hey i am so excited we are in the middle of season 12 talking about all things singleness uh disappointment the waiting seasons how to reclaim your worth and value shout out to last week's episode um and just tools to really thrive in this time and today's episode and today's guest ah she's one of my faves y'all she is one of my faves and it's an honor like this episode and just our guest, Dr. Alicia Britt Jolie is somebody who I admire almost like top five people that I admire. What do you say, JJ? Uh, she's probably top four for me. Oh, okay. Okay. Just you'll hear in the way she talks and the way she reveres the Lord and um, I am honored to actually currently be in a year-long mentorship program with her and just getting to glean from her. I just, you guys are going to love her. Anyway, real quick, before we get into that, um, this week we had a bonus Patreon episode launch. It was our first live ever Q&A. And it went great. It was so fun. It was actually a blast. So. Yeah. And we had, it was just exclusive for our Patreon community. We had people in the chat live. We had people come up live to ask questions. And so if you want to see the full video, we talk about being friends with your ex. We talk about, <laughs> should you be friends first? Um, we talk about pacing. We talked about a lot of hot topics, actually. Don't you think? Yeah, no, great questions. I mean, I was so impressed by the questions. I'm not going to lie. So I definitely think... We're going to do it again, don't you? Yeah, we will. Um, but if you want to join Patreon, it would really help us um, to just keep supporting this podcast. You can do that patreon.com forward slash heart of dating. We just updated the tiers. Okay. So now you actually can get one-on-one coaching with us for the first time in years. We haven't offered one-on-one coaching, but you can at the true love level, level five in Patreon, you can get a monthly coaching session with JJ and I, which is awesome. So um, a lot of people, Bosses, do you do one-on-one? And we're like, no, we don't. But now we do in Patreon at the true love level. So check it out. Um, yeah, you guys, we just love you so much. Last thing is if you only ever listen to this podcast, we want to say hello to our family on YouTube and encourage those listeners who only listen audio to come over on YouTube and see us because that's where it's at right now. And then subscribe, like all the things that really helps us out and you get to see doggies. Why not? Like, love you. Super hello fun. If you're watching. Hello. <laughs> anyway. So fun. All right. Let's get into this episode with my girl, Dr. Alicia Britt Sholee. my goodness, you guys. Today, we welcome Alicia Britt Sholee, Dr. Alicia Britt Sholee. Hello, my girl. How are oh, you? I'm doing well. I am so glad to be with you guys every time I've had the opportunity to meet you in person. Um, it's done my heart good. So thank you guys for the opportunity to spend this time with you. 
I'm like, really? Because I feel that times a hundred every time I met you <laughs> in person. And um, we are, we're just so excited. Our team is so excited for this conversation today because this fall, we, as a Heart of Dating team, went through your book, Anonymous, um, week by week and talked about it. And I know you wrote that book a few years, like how many years ago now? It came out yeah. a bit ago. <laughs> a while ago. I think it came out yeah. in 2000 and. Six. Oh my goodness. I know, right? So it's not like a, it's like we just discovered it, but it's not, been, <laughs> it's not like brand new. You do have a new book, The Night is Normal, which is yes. beautiful and incredible. And you guys just, Every book that Alicia has put out there, shamelessly, I will say on her behalf, is so incredible. And I'm going through right now The Sacred Slow, which is very profound. And yeah, so just, but today we're going to be focusing a lot also on anonymous and specifically hidden seasons, because as our team, we were reading this book, we were like, wow, um, there's so much goodness here. And, um, this can apply to many seasons, but we couldn't help but feel how much this applied for singles as well. And for those uh, who haven't read the book, Alicia, could you give like a spark notes, two or three sentence background, you know, <laughs> for those who are like, what is what is anonymous? Is this a cult or is this a... <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah, anonymous addresses those seasons in our life where we feel like somebody pressed the pause button on our dreams or our potential where we're looking around our life saying, this is not where I thought I'd be by now. There are missing pieces that I thought were certainties or um, I'm waiting for something to begin. And what we do in Anonymous is we look at the life of Jesus and all that we want to model, his teachings that we want to memorize, his example that we want to study, those three years rest on 30 hidden years. Yeah. 30 years where he was very much anonymous, uh, not celebrated, definitely underestimated. 30 years where he was waiting and growing and preparing. So in the same way that God choreographed the son's life, he choreographs our lives in these hidden waiting seasons aren't a waste of time. They're actually essential for all that God is building within us. So in the book, we look at what God grows in anonymous seasons. Mm, so, so awesome. Good. So so how would you define that hidden or anonymous season? Is it just basically any time period before what maybe God has called you to in that kind of like event, movement, action, you know, where it really kind of starts to come forward in life? Yeah, great question. I think that's part of what we discover in the seasons is that life isn't about to begin at some future point, but that definitely captures the sense that we have. If only once I graduate, once I get married, oh no, okay, once I start the family, no, once we move, once we get that secure job, no, I think that really after we retire, then maybe after we, what, die, <laughs> you know, where um, our our entire culture tries to get us to think that real life is awaiting some future starting point. But since God's presence is known in the present, this moment is as full of richness and opportunity and possibility as any moment ever will be. So good. 
I singles listening to this because most of our people on this podcast are single are going to say, and what you said earlier, like, you know, I didn't think I would be here right now. I didn't think this is what my life would look like. Just from your experience and diving in to wrestle with this yourself, why do you, what have you found in terms of why God gives us these seasons of hiddenness or these anonymous seasons? I find that he gives these to us as a gift to protect us, to prepare us, and to also teach us that the real treasure isn't out there somewhere. It's with us already here. And that's the real treasure of life. I, when we think about God being infinite, meaning he has no beginning and no ending, right? Mm-hmm. And God being omnipresent, meaning he's equally present and he can be everywhere present at the same time. It means that God's equally present in every moment. There isn't some future moment where there's going to be more of God for you. There isn't some amazing event we need to get to or a wedding altar that we need to find in order for the presence of God to somehow be thicker, more, regardless of what we're feeling, regardless of the scenery around us. God is as present to us today as he ever will be, all of his fullness, all of his goodness. And so what hidden seasons do is they unclutter us. These seasons where we feel like somebody pressed the pause button, in some sense, it removes from us what we thought our identity was in until we get to the point where we realize my identity is in him, my values in him, my contentment is in him. Whatever the season, whatever the scenery, whoever else is accompanying me. And you know, sometimes we think about these seasons and we're like, oh, you know, it's just until no, <laughs> there's a there's a treasure to be found in realizing that God with me is truly enough mm. that goes through any other season in life, whether it's painfully public or painfully hidden. Now, where does that just until once I get like, what is the root? Is that our flesh desiring to play God like back in Genesis? Like we want to plan and vision and execute along our will. Like, what is that? Once I get this, like, where, where does that come from? Like, what's it even rooted in? Yeah. Excellent question. Could it be that we need a new theology of contentment. You know, I, I tend to think that all of us have sort of this, let's say, GPS in our soul, all right? And we've got this address in there of where we think contentment's going to be. And so for some people, it's when I get married. For some people, it's when I get that job. For some people, it's when I get healing. And I think that thinking that Contentment is some kind of point like that is why we keep looking into the future saying, well, where is that? Or why isn't it here yet? Or what do I need to do to get there? But contentment is more about a person than a place. Contentment is more relational than transactional. the, The most Amazing picture to me of contentment is a child sleeping in someone's arms, right? You think of a baby in, let's say, mama's arms or daddy or auntie or uncle. 
And that's contentment, right? But what has that baby accomplished? <laughs> right? What award have they received? What, what do they even know other than I'm being held and I'm held by the one that loves me? So maybe we've cluttered our definition of contentment so much that we've made it impossible to find. Because every once in a while, you'll have somebody who had that GPS of uh, make a million dollars, right? And then they get there. Uh, well, that's not where contentment was, so they double it. Maybe it's a two. Or Because contentment isn't about acquiring things. Contentment is found relationally. I'm loved, and the one who loves me holds me. Which means that like Paul, I can be content in each and every situation. Yeah, that's so good. And it's, uh, you know, as soon as you said that word, it was like lightning bolt. Like, well, it's of course, because we're living in discontentment that we look forward to something that we think might fulfill that contentness. Because what happens when you feel mm. truly content? You don't want to leave that spot. You don't want to look forward to the future in that sense, right? Because you're so fulfilled and content. The departing that experience does not really sound enticing, right? Because you're you're so yeah. fulfilled in that present moment. So amazing yes. answer. I think But like what you're saying is like we can have that at any time with yes. the Lord. Yes. And I think what's happening in culture and what I see and what I experience personally in single years, which were many, many, 18 to be exact, <laughs> was like, oh man, there was highs and lows and ups and downs. And there was so much focus on when I get married, when I have that thing. And I, I know for the singles listening, like there is, there's something we have to fight against, which is culture and all these mm -hmm. expectations, family expectations, yes. church, even in ways like showing whether they are trying to or not that marriage is like the pinnacle. They're showing that leaders are mainly married people, that ministries are mainly for marrieds, not for singles. And so mm -hmm. there are singles listening that maybe they, Alicia had a vision or they have that desire in their heart. Um, and they just have thought, man, this, it should have happened way earlier than now. Um, and I'm now 40 because a lot of our Singles are later, single later in life. And they're like, what do I do with that? With this, I was okay waiting until <laughs> I turned 35. I was okay waiting until now I'm a female and 40. And now I don't even know if I can have like a biological family. Um, what does somebody like that do? Grieve well with Jesus. And we remember that his call to all of us was simply to follow, specifically to follow him. He never said, follow me into marriage, follow me into singlehood, follow me into financial success, follow me into health. There was no extra part. It was a two-word call, follow me, which means he's the leader and we're not. And it means that this is all about relationship. And regardless of the season and regardless of the application, I think we have to keep coming back to this. 
there is one gloriously common calling, and it is to follow him. I, you know, for me, uh, my health journey, Jesus never said, follow me into no sickness whatsoever. <laughs> or uh, He's just said, follow me. And where that follow takes us, uh, only he sees. But the treasure is with him. I, there's an illustration I use in The Night is Normal with my daughter, who had this dream, and boy, it was within reach of going into ballet professionally. Had a, we were rear-ended at a stoplight, and she fractured uh, L5, and two years of physical therapy, she lost her backwards mobility. So there's that as far as professional ballet. And uh, Keone was, is not in any way um, a stranger to pain. I mean, her mom's had a 10-year breast cancer journey. She has special needs brothers. You know, this It's not like she was unfamiliar with pain. But this affected her personal dream. It affected the dream she felt like God had given to her. And so we were talking one day, and she was in the midst of grief, which is healthy. It's honest. And that's really what leads us into intimacy with God, is honesty with God. And so... I said, you know, sweetheart, you have done a really, really great job of living happy with Jesus. And now you have the opportunity to live sad with Jesus. And that's okay. Because at the end of your life, what's going to have made your life rich isn't going to be the happy or the sad. It's going to be the with Jesus. So let's say someone felt that God had told them they would be married by whatever it is, 32, 35, 38, 40, whatever it is but the path of obedience has not led them into marriage. So what do we do with that? Well, the same thing we do with it in every other realm of our life. We're honest. Like Mary and Martha, we look Jesus in the eye and say, I didn't think it was going to turn out this way. I think if you had shown up earlier, I wouldn't be this sad in this area of my life. And then we follow him. So that honesty opens a door to trust. We think answers open the door to trust. Right. <laughs> honesty is what right. opens the door to trust. Right. Well, honesty in particular with maybe the sadness, the resentment, like the biggest negative emotions that somehow right get walled off, cut out, and left out. And spiritualized away. Right. Mm -hmm. We are being affected by a culture that spiritualizes optimism. Yes. Yeah. And yes. doesn't always give us permission to connect with some of the darker shades of blue in the name of faith. Now, the fruit that comes from a waiting season, and specifically, do you feel like when we cut off the ability to process and grieve the deep, hard, negative feelings, is that where our intimacy with Jesus kind of just plateaus? Or what do you see as kind of the effect of drawing that line of, I'm happy to spend this time with Jesus, but this is off limits? Well, the thing is that since God is the ultimate reality, like there's no one more in touch with what is real than he is, correct? I mean, there's I put all of the greatest minds together. Nobody is more in touch with what is real. Anytime we make an alliance with denial, we're moving in the opposite direction of intimacy. So the more we can be honest about what is real, the greater our capacity to walk with a God who is all about reality. Mm -hmm. Now, if God were a fairy tale, denial would be our friend. <laughs> Illusions all day long. 
But no, <laughs> he's the ultimate reality. So, and he wants real you. He, he wants, we don't have to spin it. We don't have to fluff it. He just wants real us following him. So we bring the sadness with us and it becomes something that we integrate into faith. A faith that has been seasoned by sorrow is a very, very different type of faith than one that's only been peppered by joy. I'm thinking of the single listening right now that's like, okay, I maybe have brought my grief to the Lord, but nothing seems to be getting better. Like, I don't know. Like, but like, you know, is there um, a limit to how much, like, how much the grief is leading them potentially to feeling stuck or feeling in a deep well of despair. And um, because I, I do see a lot of people or talk to a lot of people who maybe are grieving, but then their grief is leading them into, yeah, just a deep well of despair and stuckness and like overwhelm and all of these things. So I'm just wondering where is, is there a balance there to be found? Yes. I would highly recommend the night is normal. (laughs) That would be be my 30 year response to that question. (laughs) Um, But I, I wonder too, sometimes there is a difference between grieving as a solo and grieving as a duet, right? There's when we're just grieving all by our lonesome, that has very different fruit than when like Mary and Martha, we grieve with Jesus. Yeah. So we invite Jesus into the grief. And when I find things moving from discouragement and disillusionment, which frankly are going to be givens in any honest faith walk and are doors to intimacy, when I find that discouragement and disillusionment starting to edge toward despair, for myself personally, it's normally because I've exited the duet and I'm just living it as a solo. And when we grieve as a solo often what we're grieving becomes an identity issue for us. So then it's not just, um, you know, this is full of sorrow for me. It's like, I am sorrow. Right. Mm. And that, that's a shift. Grieving with God, grieving as a duet helps keep the grief uninfected. Mm. It keeps us having to look at him. It keeps us having to wrestle with the tension of, how can he be so good and how can he be so powerful and how can I hurt so much? That's, that's a reality we have to wrestle with. But when we wrestle with it, looking into his eyes, it keeps the grief uninfected. It's when we turn away and we begin to grieve as a solo, that infection starts gaining territory in our souls. And I believe that that ultimately can lead us to a despair that's hard to recover from. Yeah. It's almost that like, um, stereotypical despair that breeds like bitterness and resentment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also which where is anger, you know, like in our therapy sessions with our therapist, she's so great at when we bring a conflict to her, she's like, you guys are just looking at each other. And when you're just looking at each other, it's not, you're just going to have bitterness, resentment, throw tomatoes at each other, all those things. Versus if you walk hand in hand and have your eyes fixated on the Lord, that's when you're really going to be able to fix this issue. So when we're in a season, like it's reminding me of, 
I think when we don't grieve as a duet and we don't like partner with the Lord to go through these issues we're having in our life or these harder moments, it's easier to start looking around and being like, well, it's because of this that I'm not getting it. I'm going to blame it on this guy who ghosted me, or I'm going to blame it on this thing, or I'm going to blame it on myself. I'm going to blame it on, I don't look pretty enough, or I'm not this enough, or I'm not whatever. Um, It's where then the fingers and the eyes start going all different places. And we've lost, I feel like that's maybe a good litmus test. If you're single and you're like, I am grieving, but if you're finding yourself turning to all blame, all of these other things, that could be maybe a a point where you're like, you have to stop and, and redirect towards grieving with the Lord. You know, long, 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 long time ago, I was speaking at a Bible college on the theme of disillusionment. They just asked me to come and speak on whatever was on my heart. <laughs> so I, I don't it. I don't think that this is what they had in mind, but I spoke on <laughs> disillusionment. And after I finished my session, the dear the dear pastor of that group, he got up and he said, "Now I just want to make sure you understand Alicia isn't saying it's okay to be mad at God." And I was like, well, "Actually, Actually, I think I'm on really good biblical ground, you know, Psalms alone, <laughs> people who vented a little bit at God. Um, but, but that's kind of the culture that we're in. As though God is touchy or easily offended. Yes, yeah, like or he insecure. has an offensive, but offendable button. Yeah. Right. No, so he, he can handle it. He really can. And mm. our honesty is one of the greatest power weapons we have. Mm-hmm. to be able to keep the wound uninfected and keep moving forward in our faith as we follow him. What's up, fam? You know that Kate and I are always on the lookout for you guys for products that we love and use in our life and can actually tell you from our perspective and our experience, hey, this works and we love it. So you might have heard this one before, but Armra, that's A-R-M. RA Armra is a great product that we have loved. I've personally been through a huge journey in the past year or two from getting ready for my honeymoon to letting that COVID love handles. My metabolism has been up, it's been down, I've been in shape, I've been out of shape, and I'm always looking for products to kind of help stabilize that journey for me or accelerate whatever I do in the gym. Hey, I wanna get that maximum benefit outside of the gym. I hate leaving any kind of health gains on the table. So this product has been huge for my protein and my nutrition stack throughout my day-to-day life. Uh, It's packed with colostrum, which has over 400 functional nutrients. So I don't know about you, but anytime I find a product that just packs a whole lot of punch, for my fitness recovery, my performance itself. And you know, yes, I do care about my skin. Now that I'm married to a female, I'm all about it. So we have a special offer for you guys. You guys can get 15% off your first order. I always say, hey, just give it a try. If you notice a difference, then keep going with it. If you guys are inclined to try it out with the 15% off discount, just go to Try Amra. that's A-R-M-R-A, tryamra.com forward slash H-O-D. Or when you guys are checking out, this is much easier. Just enter the code H-O-D for your first 15% off your first order. So tryamra.com, T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash H-O-D, tryamra.com. 
Well, I mean, one thing we say, and we say this of friendship, right? Because we are just such big believers and champions of biblical friendship, especially as a single, right? Because that's a friendship that bonds through eternity, which is Mm -hmm. one of the gifts. Um, But one thing that we say quite frequently is you can't have true relationship with someone unless you guys have the ability to be deeply honest with one another, not Mm -hmm. to each other, but about each other as well. Um, Mm-hmm. But, you know, one thing that I love, you know, when Kate signed up for your mentorship program, Yay! I was probably the most Yay. excited one of anybody. <laughs> he was like, yes, please do this. So like, you're going to take her off my chest for an hour or two once a week. This is great. No, I'm kidding. Uh, because her learning, you know, and obviously when your spouse learns something that's exciting and new, they share it with you. And so I've gotten to hear (laughs) plenty already about what she's learning, which is so exciting. Um, but one thing that I love, uh, that you challenge Kate and you've challenged other people I've, I've heard you speak before is this idea of, okay, what do we think about this Jesus as I'm doing the Mm -hmm. dishes as I'm cleaning up, mm. as I'm arguing about, hey, Jesus, what do we think about Kate in this moment? And it, it just completely blew my mind. But you talk about the idea of being a duet. And I'm like, man, you know, you think about a duet as far as a harmony and <laughs> singing, you know, and it just takes practice. It absolutely is a skill of practice. And I don't, I feel like, you know, grieving something together as a duet, that can only happen, right? If it that's a practice, uh, a habitual habit, mm. which is kind of a redundant thing to say, um, <laughs> habitual habit. Um, but yeah, that idea of duetting together, yeah. not just in the, in the grievances of life, but in the highs, the lows, the mundane, the boring, the exciting. And do you feel like that's maybe one of the spiritual practices and disciplines that would be most serving for a single in their time of anonymity? Yeah. Thank you, JJ. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. And it is my favorite spiritual discipline. Uh, And it began for me as a single, you know, the theological reality that we all share is that Jesus is with us, but often we start the day with him or acknowledging him. And then we go on our day I don't know, as though he checked out or we've checked him off or, (laughs) yeah. And so we talk about, and you know, Kate, you're going to hear me talk about this a thousand times in our our (laughs) seventh year mentoring, but that we live life in the plural, Mm -hmm. not in the singular. Our theological reality is that Jesus and I are with Kate and JJ right now, not just Alicia, uh, that Jesus and I did dishes earlier and Jesus and I are going to pay bills later and Jesus and I are going into town. And so if in my brain I can shift from I'm doing this to we're doing this, it changes. It changes. I I don't mean this as an overstatement. I mean this very practically. It changes everything. It changes my self-talk. It changes my thoughts. It changes how I interact with people because Jesus and I are interacting with people Jesus and I are thinking about things. Jesus and I are evaluating this Jesus and I together. It's one of the greatest opportunities we have to also emphasize our reality that we're not alone. And so for me, I started discovering that discipline. Oh, about two years after Jesus interrupted my life, I ran across a tiny little book by Brother Lawrence called Practicing the Presence of God. 
Love and I was like, book. whoa, what? I can live every moment with Jesus. Now I'm not there yet. But I've had decades now of training my mind to think in terms of we instead of I and what a difference it's made for me. The first time I heard you talk about this last summer, I remember even you said something like, like, you know, even in conflict, it's Jesus and I. So when I'm speaking to my husband, it's what would Jesus and I say to him right now? And I was like, oh gosh, like that really <laughs> changes the in the moment what I might be saying, you know, or how I might be acting. And, you know, it's definitely a muscle that is pretty weak for many of us. Um, definitely myself that the, when I can tap into it and when, as I've tried to do that more and more, and I'm excited to do a lot more this year, um, it has it, it completely changes like the rewiring of your mind. Like it says in the biblically, like that we can rewire our mind. This is an actual way to rewire our mind towards the reality of the presence of God in all moments, not just, Hey God, I'm going to have this meeting with you this morning and then peace talk to you tonight or talk to you tomorrow morning. You know, it's like a business interaction um, versus Jesus with us all the time, every moment. I mean, my mind just goes to, you know, we've committed our life to practice and imitate the way of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And yet, we try and do it all by ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I cannot think of a more impossible task than having to try to replicate the life of Jesus, how we loved, served and gave to others doing that solo. Yeah. He was in constant communion with his father and he models it for us too. I, in fact, I right now I'm in Luke nine and something I, how many times have I read this chapter? But um, the passage says that I'm studying says that uh, once when Jesus was praying privately with his disciples, and you know I'd always, you know, you think of Jesus. He went away by to a quiet place, you know, where he was praying. They would have to go find him. That we know that he had this practice of private prayer. But here in Luke nine, we have Jesus praying privately right next to the guys. He modeled intimacy with his father, not just in some kind of lovely, private, quiet plate, but right there in the midst of relationship. And so that's what we do, too. We're in constant communion with Jesus now, shoulder to shoulder with each other. We're just following that example of continuous private prayer while we're in relationship in the midst of real life. So good. So good. And just modeling that contentment for them all the way down to the place of, yes, in the middle of the worst storm in the middle of the night, like you gave that picture of the child asleep in his father's arms. I'm like, man, that's exactly what Jesus would have been sleeping like in the bow of that boat, just like yeah. nestled away, perfectly content mm. with, and they all thought they were going to die. You know, <laughs> Why are like you sleeping the, on a cushion? That's, a, <laughs> right, that's, right. that's the degree of contentment available in the, in the chaos mm -hmm. of life. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we talk about interior contentment, we can't mistake it for exterior calm. Wow. That's good. We can know interior contentment because again, we know that we're loved. We know that the one who loves us holds us in the midst of the incredible storms of life. Now, exterior calm is what you're saying does not always guarantee internal contentment. 
Yeah. But does internal contentment always guarantee external calm? No. No. Okay. I, yeah, no. Yeah, thank you for clarifying that. I think that we can know internal contentment regardless of what's going on outside. I mean, it can be crazy outside, but we can still know, all right, this is nuts, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or this is a storm that I never saw coming or I never wanted or I don't know how to navigate, but I know that God loves me. And I know that God holds me. And somehow that's evidently enough for me to keep following. So good. One of my favorite things you say in Anonymous, um, and you say a lot of things that I have highlighted, and it's just so great. But you say, it will, it will not surprise me if in the end we learn that God enjoyed our hidden years the most. They seem less cluttered with the glittery stuff that distracts us from his face. Yes. And I just wanted to bring that up as we're closing, because I think that singles so often see this season as like, man, I can't wait to graduate from it and get out of it and, and get on to marriage and get on to the next thing. And yet, you know, we've talked about this many times, the quote unquote gift of singleness that everyone throws around, but like what, that there is actually potentially so much of a gift in this current moment that they might be missing out on. What do you have to say about that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, as a single, uh, not that life is not complicated, but relationally it's easier to focus. Mm-hmm. It, you know, that was one of the things I married a man of God. My husband has taught me so much about practicing the presence of God, but I do remember getting married early on and I would start singing and somebody else chimed in. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. I would start praying and somebody <laughs> else, I would want to have my quiet. Somebody else is in the room. Yeah. It's relationally more complicated. And so um, as a single, what a wonderful opportunity to build up those mental muscles of being attentive to the presence of God, regardless of the length of the season, even if it's a lifetime. That building up the attentiveness of God is with me, I am with him, I'm going to live life in the plural, honestly facing Jesus, that muscle is going to serve us well every season, every chapter, every arena that we step foot into. And singleness does afford, uh, oh my goodness, fertile ground for cultivating that discipline in a way that other seasons may be a little more distracting. Yeah. And and actually another quote that you say that I'll end on is, it ties into what you're saying is that I feel that, and somebody else had told you this, I remember you saying in the book, but that try, I feel that trials don't prepare us for what's to come as much as they reveal what we've done with our lives up to this point. And so what an opportunity to like the try, we always talk about like, Oh, the trial will make us stronger. And they're sure, but I think there's an opposite to that in, in that why aren't we preparing for trials now? Why aren't we preparing for these muscles now? And even for the singles where it God does have the plans for them to get married at some point, they're never gonna regret the muscles that they're building now of living the duet with God, of grieving well, of being able to focus on the Lord. Because when you have distraction, which you will in marriage, um, if that muscle isn't strong, 
you end up like JJ and I in the very beginning, just looking at each other and it doesn't go all the time very well. Yeah. And it's hard to develop a new discipline in the midst of a crisis or a conflict. So uh, everything we can grow in this seemingly hidden season will serve us well in every year to come. Amen. It sounds like something a guy named James would say to us as far as the trials, you know, yes. that, ex- that expose the faith and the intimacy that we've already built. Mm-hmm. Right. If we, I'd like, I totally just always think about, I love workout analogies with faith, just in the sense of, I just think they're great, uh, you know, parallel to the, our faith and the muscles that we build. And, you know, if I'm going in there and I'm doing something like back squat, and I'm trying to set an awesome, <laughs> big, heavy number, you know, max. That rep, that max out day is just going to expose all the work of how I fed my body and trained it up until that point. I'm not going to magically get stronger in that day uh, and grow because of that day. I mean, I might a little bit, but it's more of an exposure of what everything I had done up until that point. Yes. Well, and to your point earlier, we Jesus's temptation. We look at that and we're like, "Whoa, wow! Look at how he navigated face to face temptation with Satan right there." But he didn't just, you know, fall from heaven at the age of thirty. How did he navigate forty days in the desert? Well, by thirty years of hiddenness. Thirty years of hiddenness, where God was growing, Father was growing in him uh, these character uh, strengths. And we see all of those overflow in the temptation. Mm-hmm. I know. And the scariest thought I've ever had is, well, if it took Jesus 30 years <laughs> of walking with intimacy in Jesus, what do I think I need? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's why he says, follow me. <laughs> it's like your big brother's right in front of you. He's stronger. He's smarter. He sees further. Amen. We stay in his shadow. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Alicia, this is so good. Like, I feel like this whole interview, my my mouth was just like, my eyes were like, oh, I just love listening to you and gleaning from you. And I hope every single and Heart of Dating listener just felt that way too. But they, I want to encourage them all to connect with you. The Night is Normal is your newest book, which I think also relates so much to this topic. So yeah, tell them about a little bit about where they can connect and get all the things. Yeah. Instagram is the best place for us to connect. I um, love hearing from people and my website has all of the books, but Amazon's probably the best place. And I would say, um, the night is normal. I mentioned earlier, it's an overflow of 30 years of study and living, and it helps normalize uh, some of the seasons that we misinterpret as failure. I think it's a hope-giving work, and that is, uh, that is my dream. Mm-hmm. It's not like. related to Dark Night of the Soul like theology, is it? or You know, the dark night of the soul is certainly something I studied, but the study did not come from looking at the dark night. It came from studying spiritual pain, Genesis to Revelation in the scriptures. Amazing. Well, I can't wait to open it up. I want to read Sacred Slow as well. And we're actually doing another one of your books as a team study uh, starting now in January. So we can't wait. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much. Oh, thank you, Alicia. You're wonderful. Heart of Dating podcast is created by Kate and JJ Tomlin. Shout out to our epic audio and video editor, Scott Caro. 
We have an amazing Heart of Dating team who helps bring the show to you each week. I want to shout out Kelsey Napier, our Heart of Dating Digital Marketing Coordinator, and Elena Gibson, our Brand and Community Manager. We couldn't do it without them. Now, if you guys have never ranked us or reviewed us on iTunes or Spotify, would you consider doing that? It would mean so much because our podcast can get more discovered and more people can learn how to better date as Christians. Don't we all want that? We launch our podcast each and every week on Wednesdays. So we will see you next week. Thank you.